Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Got a few things we're going to talk about here today, including The Mandalorian. Is it a bit overrated? Would people love it as much if it wasn't connected to Star Wars? Also, we're going to talk a little bit about the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League with all the changes. Can we even still call it the Snyder cut anymore? Also, new Xbox or PS5, which one am I getting? That and a whole bunch more. So let's get into Open Mic. And listen, before we get into the questions here, just want to give a big shout out and thank you to all of the Patreon supporters of the John Campy Show. Thank you to all you guys. And by the way, all the questions sent in for this episode of Open Mic came from our Patreon supporters. So thank you to all of you guys. Also, just want to remind you guys and let some of you know who might have submitted questions for this show. We do have a rule that we ask, hey guys, keep it to 90 words or less. And some of the questions that got sent in are a hell of a lot longer than that. So I'm going to have to skip over those just so you know that if you sent one in that was really long, that's why it's not getting addressed here. Just takes a long time to read through all those. Anyway, let's get to some of these great questions. And the first one being sent in here today comes to us from Ben Donnelly, who writes, so Halloween just came and went. What are your favorite movies to watch around uh, at home around this time of year? All right. Thanks for sending that in. Ben, honestly, I really don't like it's not like Christmas for me. Where, you know, at Christmas, I'm watching, you know, honestly, I'm probably watching Lord of the Rings movie, but also around Christmas, I like to watch Wizard of Oz and around Christmas, some of the classics like a Christmas Carol is definitely one to watch and a number of others. But for some reason, for whatever reason, I really don't have Halloween go to movies. Now, that might probably be because I'm not the biggest horror fan in the world. Like I certainly have some horror films that I really, really like. Um, but yeah, I don't generally have a go-to movie around Halloween like a lot of my friends do. So I'm a little bit weird that way, I suppose. All right. Giorgio Gengala writes, no question. Just wanted to say, hope you're having a great day. Well, thank you so much, Giorgio. I appreciate that. Next up, we got Josh who writes Chicago BD, which I actually really, I don't watch a ton of just normal television, but Chicago BD is one of the shows that I do. Anyway, Josh writes Chicago PD returns with season eight filmed during COVID on November 11th. The premiere deals with Atwater being targeted by officers who want to hurt him for speaking out against the racist cop from last season, heightened police reform and Voight questioning whether he's cut out for this new form of policing in the wake of oversight for from the new superintendent and the awareness brought to police brutality and racism. I can't wait to watch it, especially because it'll show the characters adapting to a COVID world just like ours. All right. Thanks for writing that in Josh. And yeah, listen, I really like Chicago PD. Like I said, it's one of those shows. Like I don't watch any of the other Chicago shows, Chicago med, Chicago fire. None of those. I I don't watch any of them. They don't interest me, but for whatever reason, I like cop shows. And so I kind of get into this. Now, it's really interesting is back when a, a lot of the civil unrest started, a lot of movies and television shows about police really came under scrutiny and some police based projects got canceled. And I remember early on, like people asked me what I thought would happen with Chicago PD. And I said, you know, what's funny is that Chicago PD is actually a really well positioned show, especially considering today's climate, because, you know, last season, season seven, it ends on this kind of cliffhanger. But the storyline going on in the show is You know, one of our main heroes in the show, this one cop is standing up and, you know, putting himself in harm's way because he's standing up against, you know, racism within the police force. Now, remember, this was before 
all the unrest started to happen in our country. And so that was their basic storyline. And now the repercussions and blowback he's getting for standing up to that. And so when all this stuff started happening, I thought, well, this is actually one show that's really well positioned. And uh, I'm glad to see they're going to be following through with that story going into the next season. And I'm looking forward to it, Josh. All right. Next up, Pablo Zaniga writes. Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you very much. Uh, keep up the good work, sir. You are. Oh, that was the next question. So I hope you're doing well. I wanted to ask some tips slash lessons that you learned from doing your documentary. I'm doing a documentary this winter on the history of film in my country of Honduras. That's awesome, Pablo. Um, and I wanted to know if there's any tip, any uh, you have regarding pre-production, post-production and post uh, pre-production, production and post-production. Thanks. All right. Well, first of all, Pablo, that's awesome that you're doing that. And I love the topic, a topic of the history of film in your country. That's an amazing topic to cover. As far as tips go, you know, I am by no means a documentarian. I've made a documentary, but I'm not a true documentarian. Uh, and nor do I have near the wealth of experience in doing it. That makes me the best guy to get advice for. The one thing I will say is this really focus on pre-production really, really focus on your preparation over prepare. If anything, the more preparation you do, believe me, the smoother things will go. Uh, figure out what you want your structure to be, understand where it is. You want to go, all that kind of stuff, put in the work. And you know, some people, I know I've spoken to some filmmakers where they just took their cameras and started shooting. Okay. But you're setting yourself up for problems later on problems you can solve, but still problems you don't necessarily have to solve if you put in the pre-production work first. So I would say prep, 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 prep. So from a non-documentarian, but who has done it once or twice, I would say that's the biggest key I have for you, Pablo. Just prep, prep, prep. Good luck on that project, man. I'm really proud of you. That's awesome. All right. Austin Pursak writes, uh, pronounced Prusak. There you go. Prusak. Sorry about that, Austin. Uh, keep up the good work, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. Well, thank you so much. It's always nice when you guys just want to write in to say something nice. I appreciate that, man. All right. Fernando Haberfeld writes, Hey, John, wondering if you've seen Nomad Land, and if so, what are your thoughts? It's by far the most boring film I've seen all year, but pretty sure I'm one of the only people who hates it. Even though it's beautifully shot, the story moves at a snail's pace, and the script doesn't give audiences much of a reason to care about the characters. I semi-enjoyed The Rider, but was extremely disappointed by this movie given the near-perfect critic review. Here's hoping it doesn't win any Academy Awards. It sure as hell doesn't deserve them. Well, I mean, here's the thing for now, and by the way, I, I feel like you might have sent in that question before. I'm not sure. But at any rate, here's the thing, Fernando. Um, it, it probably really does deserve Academy Awards because it is moving so many people. Now, I myself have not been to any of the festivals or attended any of the digital festivals where they have been playing. So I have not yet had the privilege of watching the film. Um, and I even might not like it. I don't know. But I'm looking at a lot of people who's you know, take on film, I, I usually really trust. That doesn't automatically mean I like it. I mean, there've been many times there've been movies that are beloved that I don't like myself. That's fine. But yeah, I wouldn't, I, just because you don't like something, Fernando, I wouldn't, I would be hesitant to start running out and saying it sure as hell doesn't deserve him. Well, there seems to be a lot of people who do think it deserves it. You know, so I, I would stop at just saying, you know, I saw it didn't work for me. Here's why it didn't work for me. And then just kind of stop there. Now, there are some people, we all, all of us have unique tastes in movies, right? 
We all have unique taste in movies. And some of us have different preferences. Some like more methodical, slower paced movies. Some of us want action, bang, bang, bang. Some of us want, you know, some of the mixture in between. And so just because a movie is great, like take me, for example, Blade Runner. Everybody loves Blade Runner. I don't. I like Blade Runner 2049, but I don't like Blade Runner. Now, just because I don't like it and it doesn't work for me, uh, that doesn't mean I should go out and say, oh, it doesn't deserve to have this cult classic. Well, no, enough people really adore this film to, to the point that just because I don't like it doesn't mean it doesn't deserve the place that it has, right? It still deserves the place it has. So I'm willing to give it that. So yeah, that's just kind of my take on all that. Anyway, I'm sorry you didn't like it. I'll see how I feel about it once I have a chance to see it myself. All right, next up, Alexander Kent writes, hello, John. What if this Zack Snyder Justice League is the Justice League that sets up the Flash in Batman versus Superman? Meaning, what if in this Justice League Vision's uh, version, Lois dies and Superman becomes the Superman that was foreseen in Batman versus Superman in Bruce's vision? Do you think Zack Snyder Justice League in the universe of the Flash that visits Bruce in Batman versus Superman and Joss Whedon Justice League uh, is the universe... That is the fixed result of that visit. Hope the question makes sense. Love your show. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, Alexander. I don't follow you. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't follow you. Um, I'll say this. It is clear that the Zack Snyder movie that we're getting, or miniseries, I should say, that we're getting, is clearly going to be fundamentally different than what his original vision was. I still think it's basically going to be his original vision, but obviously we have moved beyond the point where it's beyond any debate now that this is not exactly going to be, you know, that original thing that he shot and wanted to get out. This is now going to be a different thing altogether, but I don't think it's going to be radically different. Like, I don't think he's fundamentally going to shift, nor do I think they're going to give him the money to do it, even if he wanted to. And I don't think he wants to. I don't think it's going to be like some drastic day and night shift from a, to becoming a completely different movie about a completely different thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I don't expect to see too many drastic change. I think the basic premise of the movie is going to remain the basic premise of the movie, and then we'll see where things go from there. All right. Next up, uh, Manny Garcia writes with Zack Snyder's Justice League, speaking of which, uh, adding new scenes and adding characters that weren't in previous uh, versions and having it be a multi-party series. Multi, I think you meant multi-part, <laughs> multi-party being a multi-part series rather than a movie. At what point does it become a whole different project altogether? I'm betting it gets some form of new title as well. Um, I mean, we were just talking about that, right? I mean, look, for the longest time, there were people who had this completely wrong belief that out there somewhere was this completed Zack Snyder version of Justice League just sitting in a can, just waiting for Warner Brothers to release it, you know? And that was the basic beginning of release the Snyder Cut. There, there was this a huge throng of people that just believed there was this finished movie out there somewhere. And of course, that wasn't true. Uh, there was no finished movie anywhere. But Zack Snyder had shot his movie and even screened a rough cut 
with, you know, with a lot of work still to do on it, but basically a rough cut for Warner Brothers executives and they didn't like it, but he had this four hour rough cut that he showed to Warner Brothers, right? So that was out there. Now we fast forward a little bit and everybody wanted that cut of the movie to be released. Problem is that cut didn't exist. It, it wasn't in existence yet. There wasn't a completed movie yet. So then they announce that HBO will air it, which I thought was a great idea. Remember, I, I was saying for like five or six months before they announced this that I thought HBO was a great option for whatever the quote unquote Snyder cut was. I thought HBO was a great option for it. And I thought they should put it. But I didn't think they'd put money into it. See, I was saying, you know what? People want, there are so many people out there that want this Snyder cut thing. It's obviously doesn't exist. There's no finished version of this, but just take whatever it is even if it's unfinished and just put it out on HBO. I think it would make a lot of people happy. I didn't think they would actually put up money to complete it, uh, but they did. So what everybody thought, including me, what everybody thought once that got announced was that now we're going to get that original vision, that, that original thing that Zack Snyder shot. They're just going to put in some money to finish the post-production on it, some visual effects, some Foley, some audio mixing, you know, finish the scoring, all that kind of stuff. They're just going to finish that stuff. And then we're going to get this original thing that Zack Snyder shot. And even when they made the original announcement, they said, there's not any reshoots going on, but we are going to do some audio pickup, audio recording with some of the actors. Well, what has happened since then? Since then, We've heard about, oh, no, there is a lot of reshooting happening, and they're even adding new characters that weren't in the original thing that Zack Snyder shot, like Jared Leto's Joker was a Hollywood reporter confirmed the other day that he was never a part of the original shooting. So what has become clear to everybody is that what we are going to get in this thing they are calling the Snyder cut isn't really what his original vision was. It's going to be something different, a little bit different. I think a little bit different. I don't think it's going to be fundamentally like a completely different movie. You know what I mean? Than what it was originally going to be. But at the same time, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, I've talked on the show before that any director of any big budget film is going to get the opportunity to do pickup shooting and reshoots. Every director of every big tentpole film plans for reshoots. That's the MCU. That's DC. That's Star Wars. You name it. They always plan for reshoots. So to me, there's no reason why Zack Snyder doing this, whatever we're going to call it now, shouldn't get that same opportunity. And if he's had some better ideas or something, you know, a lot of years have passed since he shot Justice League originally. He, that's a lot of time to develop some new ideas, some fresh takes, whatever. And you know what? He's given the opportunity to do that. So I don't know that it needs a new title, although I'm not. I, I've always thought they could come up with a different title and they very well may. But I really don't think it's going to be so fundamentally different that. It doesn't resemble what Zack Snyder originally shot. Like take Star Wars, the special edition, right? Yeah, there's some differences in Star Wars, the special edition, as opposed to the original Star Wars, but it is still Star Wars. It's still Star Wars, a new hope. Yeah, there are some differences. Yes, but it's still Star Wars. 
Will there be differences between what we ultimately get on HBO with whatever this Snyder cut is from what Snyder's original thing was that he shot? Yes, there are going to be differences, but I don't believe so many differences that it's now just fundamentally a different thing altogether. So that's what I'm thinking right now. But who knows? Let's let's wait and see how that all turns out. All right. Uh, next one up, we've got Ryan writes. John, I've been uh, I've been watching The Mandalorian and enjoying the deeper look into his world. Uh, it's through this series that I first heard of Beskar armor in the episode where Din gets a full suit of Beskar. I got the impression that the other Mandos that hid in the tunnels weren't wearing Beskar. That is true. Is Boba Fett's armor made out of Beskar? I believe they suggest that it is. Yes, I saw that it take a direct blaster hit with no damage when the marshal was wearing it. But I also noticed a, a big dent in the helmet that made me think that it wasn't Beskar. Has this question already been answered in the Star Wars lore? And I just missed it. Thanks. Um, I don't know if it's already been answered in the Star Wars lore or not. But listen, Beskar is not adamantium, right? It's an incredibly tough, incredibly precious metal, but it's not adamantium. It's not supposed, it's not completely indestructible, you know? So I, what I as an audience member took from that episode of Mandalorian was that, yes, Boba Fett's armor was made from Beskar. And that's very consistent with Mandalorian. When Mandalorians have access to Beskar, they make their armor out of Beskar. And if they don't, then they make their armor out of something else, you know, that which is what we saw a lot. That's why all the other Mandalorians were so envious when Mando or Din come, came walking back into the tunnels and he had all this Beskar. So uh, I don't believe the other Mandalorians down in those tunnels necessarily had Beskar. And I do believe that uh, that Boba Fett's did. And just because you see some dents in the armor, that does not mean it wouldn't be Beskar, right? Beskar is not adamantium. So that's my take. But again, that's just my take as an individual fan, as an individual viewer. Take it for what you will, Ryan. All right. Next up, Matt Lyons writes. Hey, John, I think DC will do very well with streaming, probably leading to even better movie results. Thoughts? Love the show. Well, Matt, that's called um, wishful thinking. And there's nothing wrong with wishful thinking. That's not to say that DC won't do well with streaming. I'm just saying right now we have no evidence to say that they won't do well or to say that they will do well. I like the sounds of the projects that particularly green lantern. I mean, green Lantern's the one that that's got us kind of excited. So there's that. I'm also excited about peacemaker, even though I haven't seen um, James Gunn's suicide squad yet, or John Cena as the character. I, it's just a cool sounding show, but that's all I've got to go on right now is what sounds cool. I've seen a million movies and TV shows that sounded cool. That turned out to be rubbish. So all I know is this. Under Walter Hamada, DC, I believe, has really righted the ship. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't like everything that they're doing. Like I didn't like uh, Birds of Prey and the uh, fabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn did not like that movie. It's the first DCEU movie I didn't like, but whatever, everything else, they really seem under Hamada. They've really seemed to got everything running on all cylinders. So I will personally give them the benefit of the doubt, but 
I, I can't say that I definitely think this will happen because I really don't have anything to base it on yet. I'm going to be patient. Let's wait and see. But it sounds cool. And at this point, I do have a good amount of trust in Walter Hamada. So let's see where things go. All right. Saberwolf writes. Hey, John, I was rewatching Last of the Mohicans, such an awesome movie. Daniel Day-Lewis really is the goat. Such an amazing, uh, such amazing acting. But the man, Wes Studi, as uh, Magus stole the movie for me, such a good villain with a sad backstory. Here's the thing. Wes Studi, he's just one of these guys who will pop up in like a hundred things. And he's always great. He's always money. But my favorite thing of his is without a doubt as the Sphinx in 1999's Mystery Men. If you guys have been watching or listening to any of my shows for any period of time, you know I have a real place in my heart for Mystery Men. I love Mystery Men. And uh, him playing Sphinx in that, it just killed me. So no matter, even if he wins Oscars moving forward, I will always think of him as the Sphinx. But yes, he's absolutely great. Last Mohicans, fabulous movie. Just one of the many, many, many notches for Daniel Day-Lewis, who is the greatest actor of all time. He is the GOAT. And uh, that's just another example why. All right. Mr. Bondi writes, uh, Hey, John, remember I told you about what we do in the Shadows spinoff, not the werewolf one, Wellington Paranormal. I do recall that. Uh, this one is about... The two officers from the movie investigating paranormal phenomena. I had to VPN it since it was from New Zealand, but maybe you can find it there. It's really funny and part of the same universe. I had totally forgotten about that, but I've heard nothing about it. I've heard nothing about it. And as of this point, I have no idea where I would even watch it. Um, because I don't recall seeing it on any of the major streamers. I don't recall seeing it on FX or available on Hulu. I can take a look. I will take a look because that does sound interesting to me. And I love, love the, what we do in the shadows universe from the movie to the show now that I completely love. And this sounds like it'd be interesting too. All right. Thanks for the heads up on that. Mr. Bondi Ian writes. I know you are more of a PC gamer, but will you be treating yourself to the new PS5 or Xbox? I have pre-ordered the PS5 and it, and it cannot arrive soon enough as we head into a new full lockdown. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny when the first lockdown during the early days of the pandemic was happening. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but I remember me and some friends talking about, can you imagine going through this pandemic lockdown like even like in the eighties without internet and without Roku's and streaming devices and a plethora of video games that we can just play. Like honestly for us today, a lockdown is much more bearable. And, and in a day, in a day where we have Uber eats and we have Postmates and we have all this stuff and Instacart, I mean, a lockdown today is much more bearable than I'm guessing it would have been for, you know, people our age in the 80s, right? I, it must be much better. But yes, I am planning on getting one of them. And I am getting a, drum roll, PS5. I'm going to get a PS5. The reason I'm getting PS5 over an Xbox, and this is no shade on Xbox whatsoever. Uh, my brother-in-law has an Xbox. He loves it. Great. Excellent. For me, though, as somebody who's not a big console gamer, I do have to say the video games that have excited me the last couple of years all seem to be 
PS5 exclusive or PS PS exclusives. They all seem to be PlayStation exclusives. Whether it's God of War or whether it's um, uh, what was I just uh, uh, Last of Us or uh, Spider Man or it, it just seems like every time a game comes out that. I look at and go, oh, that gets me interested. It just seems like it's a PS exclusive. Now, I'm sure that won't always be the case, but when you're somebody like me who's not like a hardcore console gamer, and I'm so I have no loyalty, I don't have like I, I understand the Xbox versus PS uh, infantile battle is just like Marvel versus DC fans infantile battles, but I have no dog in that hunt. I don't care. I really don't care. All I know is that. When I think about games that have caught my interest and made me excited for the last couple of years, they usually end up being PS exclusive. So for that reason, it's going to be the PS5. That's the one I'm going to be ordering. Now, I haven't pre-ordered it. Uh, I probably will sometime soon. But uh, yeah, PS5 is the one I'm going to be getting. Thanks for that. And again, no casting, no shade on Xbox. None at all. I'm Lots of Xbox users listening to the show. And that's awesome. But, you know, you asked, so I answered. All right. Antonio uh, Fermi writes, Hey, John, how would you personally rank all film opinions are subjective? Uh, the artistic styles of these directors, Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, Bong Joon-ho, Quentin Tarantino, Taika Waititi. Thanks. Well, all due respect, Antonio, I don't do rankings like I, I don't do that. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to be getting into ranking anything. But when you're talking about these filmmakers, they're all so radically different from each other, like from the stylings of a Wes Anderson uh, with uh, you know, Life Aquatic, Steve Zizou, Royal Tannenbaums, uh, on and on and on. You know his films. Or you're talking about uh, um, uh, that was West, talk about Paul Thomas Anderson when you're talking about movies like Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, and like my what I think is personally his best movie, <clears throat> There Will Be Blood. I mean, I mean he's great, but that's a very different style. Those films are very very different stylistically from Wes Anderson. Bong Joon-ho. I mean, the dude just won Best Picture with Parasite. But then you got uh, Okja, which a lot of people loved. You've got things like, um, oh, what's the name of the damn train movie again? Snowpiercer, right? I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big Snowpiercer fan. I'm not the biggest fan of the Snowpiercer movie, to be honest with you. But a lot of people love it. Then you even go to like his monster classic, The Host, Right. Very, very different stylings from like a Wes Anderson, Paul W. Anderson, Tarantino. Well, I mean, what do you say about Tarantino? Tarantino's Tarantino. He's his own style unto himself. Taika Waititi, same kind of thing. He's becoming like a style unto himself. Right. His films have been fantastic and they all have their own certain DNA to them. So um, I don't do rankings really anyway, norm under normal circumstances. But this one would be especially weird to do because they're just such they're such apples to oranges to grapefruits to dinner plates. Right. Comparisons. They're not apples to apples comparisons because they're such fully different types of filmmakers, all of them with their strengths, as some of the movies we just mentioned, and all of them with their own weaknesses as well. Actually, anyway, thanks for saying that in Antonio. All right. Justin Nielsen writes. Last week, you talked about the new Power Rangers universe and how you felt it was a bad idea. I felt it was a bad idea to, to be specific here, Justin. I felt it was a bad idea about how they were approaching it. I felt like the approach they were taking, that it's going to be kids focused, yet set in the 90s. That to me is an, is a 
you know, is a recipe for failure. So it's not that I think Power Rangers in general can't work or is a bad idea. I just thought what I said specifically was I felt like their approach was a bad idea. Anyway, Justin continues. Do you think a property like this could be successful if they launch their universe on a streaming service first with a series and use that to lead into a big movie event? All right. Thanks for sending that in. Um, Look, everybody is always looking for the formula, right? What's the formula? You know, do you put out solo movie, solo movie, solo movie, team up movie? Because that's what Marvel did. So isn't that what DC should do? Right. Everybody's always looking for what's the formula. Should it would the formula work if you put it out as a series first and then do a movie event? It's really not about the formula. The, the formula is irrelevant. Like, like I said before, you know, if Star Wars were to come out today, because everybody's obsessed with it, the only way any kind of shared cinematic universe movie can work now is if you do it just like the MCU did a solo movie with another solo movie, with another solo movie, and you big up, you build up, and then you do a team up movie. Honest, I, I disagree with that 1000%. It's not a bad idea, but it's not the only thing that works, nor does doing it that way necessarily mean that it will work. I mean, I, I I said this before, but I really believe it's true. If they were coming out with Star Wars today, I'm sure there would be a lot of people going, wait, wait a minute. They're doing a Star Wars movie right off the bat. You can't do that. You got to build up to it. You got to have a, a solo Obi-Wan movie, and then you got to do a solo young Luke Skywalker movie, and then you need to do a solo Han Solo movie about what leads him up to being there, and you got to do a solo Darth Vader movie about how you got there. Then you do Star Wars. Then you do Star Wars. It's like, obviously, that's not true. It's not the formula. It's the quality of the content you're making. It's not about the formula. I also always point out when we talk about this, look at Guardians of the Galaxy. They didn't need to do a Gamora movie and a Star-Lord movie and a Drax the Destroyer movie and a Rocket movie and a Groot movie. You didn't have to do all that first and then do the big team up of Guardians of the Galaxy. No, they just did Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not about formula or look at the opposite way. Look at what Universal tried to do with their big monster universe. They tried to follow the Marvel formula. We'll do a solo movie with the mummy, and then we'll do a solo movie with the Wolfman, and then we'll do a solo movie of the Invisible Man, and then we'll do a solo, and then we'll build it to a big, guess what? It didn't work. Right off the bat, it didn't work. It's not about formula. It's about quality of content. And the problem is that I see with this, Justin, about, you know, oh, the, let's do the formula of start with a streaming service first and then use that to lead to a big movie event. Number one, I don't think having a strategy that goes from television to the movies is a very good strategy. I, I don't think that I think history has proven that doesn't really work out so well. There are some exceptions, uh, very, very few exceptions, but I think generally that doesn't work. But it doesn't address the main underlying problem. And the main underlying problem to me is the fact it doesn't get rid of the issue of they're specifically going to be targeting this Power Rangers at kids and they're going to set it in the 90s. That doesn't work. You can do one or the other. You can target it at kids and have it set modern day, I think, to so kids can, can relate to it and associate with it. You can 
try to target it to people who are a little bit older so there'll be a nostalgia factor and set that in the 90s. That's fine. But to me, the idea that going to set it in the 90s and it's going to be targeted at children, I, I just don't think that works. I think that's a philosophy. I think that's an approach that doesn't work. The formula of do you roll it out with a TV show, then a movie or a miniseries with some anime? That formula, I, I think, is kind of irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It won't matter until you fix the main fundamental problem. You're trying to make a show that's targeted at kids for Power Rangers, and you're going to set it in the 90s, an era before these kids were born. I just don't see that as a winning combination for a property like Power Rangers. It doesn't matter if you come out with a movie first or a TV show first or whatever. Now, in general, I do think it's it would be a mistake to try to go from start with a TV show and then build that up because at that point, you're dealing with everybody was used to being able to watch Power Rangers on TV for free. And now to see the next chapter, I've got to go to the movies to see it. I, I just there's fundamentally something that breaks down there. Hey, you know what? Um, what was the damn X-Files? At least one of the two movies that X-Files did it OK, but. And Star Trek did it, but that took a lot of years in between Star Trek being done on TV before coming out of movies. So I just, I don't know. It's it's a tough sell. Tough sell, Justin. All right. Next up, Dave Zuckerman writes, I think I'm the only one in the world who doesn't like The Mandalorian. I love Star Wars, but this show feels like some corporately manufactured, childish, unbelievable, nostalgia, nostalgic filled drivel to me. I don't mean to yuck on your yum, but I am curious. Do you think this show would be even a quarter as popular if it wasn't tied to Star Wars? I feel it relies mostly on caring about how Baby Yoda ties into Star Wars. I'll, I disagree with you, David. I don't think anybody cares about that. My wife doesn't give one drip of piss. If how Baby Yoda ties into the rest of Star Wars, she just loves Baby Yoda. I think that's most people. But at any rate, and on people's inexplicable love for Boba Fett, your thoughts. I disagree with you, David. I disagree with you completely. Um, first of all, all entertainment is subjective. That means everybody is going to like and dislike different things. And that means that you are going to love a lot of things that other people love and that you are inevitably going to cross a number of things that everybody loves that you don't. It happens to me. It happens to you. It happens to everybody. That's just a subjectivity film. As far as do I think this show would be as popular if it wasn't connected to Star Wars as popular? No, but popular. Yes, because I just believe it's really quality storytelling. A We've seen some sci-fi stuff try to do the Western in space uh, Firefly did a pretty good job of it, but rarely has it been done really well. It's been rare that it's been done really well. And I think this does this really well. Of course, you attach the Star Wars name that brings a, a, a built in audience to a degree. But your premise of and your your thesis of this wouldn't be as popular if it wasn't connected to Star Wars or it's only popular because it's connected to Star Wars. Well, that would assume that everything that comes out with the name Star Wars is popular and beloved. And we've seen in the last number of years, that's clearly not true. Just because something comes out with the name Star Wars attached to it does not mean everybody loves it. I mean, that's that's clear. That's obvious. So. Had this show not been high quality, had this show not been great, it would have been rejected, just like a few other Star Wars properties have been. So there's that as well. Um, and also, 
I, I don't think any of the popularity is attached to Boba Fett because it's not Boba Fett who's in the character, who's in the show. It's a different character who wears the same kind of armor. Yes, but I, I so I, nah, that doesn't mean, David, that you're supposed to like Mandalorian. Not at all. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you're supposed to like it in the least. Right. You watched it, gave it a shot. Didn't work for you. Nothing wrong with that. And you shouldn't apologize for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I disagree with you. I think the storytelling is fresh. I think the characters are wonderful. I don't obviously if you've heard me review the show, you know, I don't love every single episode. I certainly don't. But uh, overall, I just think it's a really, really quality show. You take that and now add the Star Wars brand to it. And yeah, then you're going to get something pretty popular. But I think at the core, it has to start with something that that most people find real quality. And uh, I, I think Mandalorian's a really quality show. I get very excited about every new episode that's coming on. And uh, yeah, there you go. And, and by the way, you know, um, you look at somebody like me, I ditched Clone Wars. I, I mean, I just it just doesn't matter that it has a Star Wars name to it. I just thought it was I thought it was drivel. But a lot of people love it. And I respect that. A lot of people love it. But, uh, you know, it didn't work for me. So, no, I, I don't think this would just be some forgotten show if it wasn't attached to Star Wars. I think the quality of it would still give it a platform. Maybe not as big because it's not Star Wars, but a platform nonetheless. All right, let's keep going here with Lee Page, who writes, Hey, John, Disney Plus seems to be back in everyone's good graces with Mandalorian being back. But don't they at some point have to get multiple big time shows going at once? Or do you think they believe they can hold subscribers from show to show with the weekly schedule format they've picked? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Lee. Um, you know, that's an interesting question, because what when we talk about Disney Plus, for the past year, it's been just a complete absence of any marquee original stuff other than Mandalorian, right? Just a complete lack of any marquee original stuff. And it's been frustrating as somebody who was really excited for Disney Plus. I, I'll tell you, it's been frustrating to see the complete lack of high quality premium original new content. I know they put out a lot of mid to low tier original content, but I'm talking the stuff that everybody gets excited about. I actually think they would be fine having one marquee show running at a time. I really do. I think they would be totally fine running one big marquee show at a time. Now, it would be preferable if they had like two marquee shows running at a time. You know, that would be preferable because it would mean instead of like six uh, big shows a year, we can get 10 to 12 big shows a year. That's really what they should be aiming for. But right now, just getting six big shows in a year seems like a treasure find for what Disney Plus has been giving us, which is nothing. I mean, they've given us Mandalorian, and now we're back to Mandalorian again. Granted, they also dropped Hamilton. They decided to move up Hamilton and drop that early, and that's great. But it's been it's been a frustrating ride for me as a Disney Plus subscriber. So, hey, listen. Maybe six shows a year running, you know, concurrently running back to back. Maybe that's not so great. But right now it feels like it would be great because it's still such a big step forward from what we have gotten, which was Mandalorian. Then sit on your asses and wait for a year for something good to come out again on Disney Plus. And so, uh, yeah, right now, listen, the fact that we're going to roll out a Mandalorian into WandaVision, I think is fantastic. So we'll see how much longer we have to wait after WandaVision to get something else. All right. Thanks for that, Lee. Next up, Marie Seifring writes, 
Hey, John. Dutch director Paul uh, Verhoeven has a diverse resume. He certainly does. Sci-fi such as Robocop and Total Recall to tense psychological thrillers like Basic Instinct. Where do you see him ranking among top directors? All right. Thanks a lot for that. And yeah, you're right. Paul Verhoeven has some really nice marquee films on his resume. Robocop. Basic Instinct, Total Recall. Don't forget about films like Hollow Man. I really like Hollow Man. I like Hollow Man. And don't forget Starship Troopers. Everybody knows Starship Troopers. Where do I rank him among the top directors? Honestly, I don't. Now, I I don't say that to cast shade on him. He's obviously done some very good work. But, you know, when you look at his films like Starship Troopers, I get a kick out of that movie. I have fun with that movie. It's it's also pretty bad. I mean, that's one of the things that's one of the great things about Starship Troopers. It's bad, but it's pretty fun to watch. Um, you know, you can't get past the fact that he directed Showgirls, an infamously, infamously horrible, horrible movie. You know, I I wasn't a big fan of his 2015, 2016, somewhere like that, his film Ellie. I wasn't a big film of that. And when you, you talk about like his really good, it was like RoboCop, great film. Total Recall, great film. But are these films that you rank alongside like Godfather? Are these films you rank alongside of Inception? I personally, I don't think so. So Paul Verhoeven is definitely a director I enjoy. I respect. And when he has something coming out, that's something to pay attention to. But in my personal opinion, and it's all just subjective personal opinion. In my personal opinion, though, I, I don't have him ranked amongst top directors. You know what I'm saying? A good one, definitely serviceable. And when he's on his A game, he can deliver something really entertaining. So a very good director. Amongst the top directors, I don't, I don't personally quite put him there yet. But that's just me. I still think he's good, though. All right. Edgar Navarro writes. I know I'm in the minority when it comes to this, but I loved the A-Team movie and I would love for them to make a sequel. If it were to be greenlit for one more, would it be too late? It's absolutely 1000% too late. At least, I mean, it's too late in the sense of it's too late for them to bring back Liam Neeson and Rampage Jackson and uh, who else was in there? Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I, I think it is too late for that. That's that's the time for that has come and gone. That is something they would have had to get around to a while ago. I loved that they did an A-Team movie. And I liked the A-Team movie. I liked it. But I, I didn't love it. I, I'll be honest with you. It 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 was it le- it left me feeling wanting a little bit. It certainly didn't do well enough to justify a sequel. And I don't think quality-wise, it was enough to justify a sequel. Now, could I see them revisiting A-Team and and try rebooting and doing it again? Yes, because the principle of A-Team is just, it writes itself. It's a a great concept for a fun, popcorn-y, action, hero kind of movie, right? It's a great concept. You know, a bunch of war heroes wrongfully convicted of something they didn't do, and they've escaped, and now they just help people. If you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. I mean, it's an iconic opening. Um, I think that is a premise that plays just as well today as it did the first day it came out, so I'd be all for it, but it would probably, once again, have to be in the form of a reboot, not so much as a sequel to that one that they did, unfortunately. All right. Next up, uh, Brent Gilson writes, 
What's the latest update on your documentary? Is it likely that it'll get picked up by any major streaming services? I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you so much. So where we're at with the documentary right now, we uh, just, we're getting ready to do our last uh, film festival, which we were incredibly honored and privileged to be selected for the uh, Studio City International Film Festival. We're incredibly honored by that. And we're playing in that this week. And then I'm also in the final stages of working with my lawyer about just getting all the final eyes dotted and T's crossed and all that kind of stuff for the movie to make sure it's, you know, cause we use a lot of copywritten material in like we use clips from movie trailers and stuff like that. And we got to make sure it falls properly under fair use. And so I don't play around with that. We got a lawyer that specifically uh, specializes in fair use law. And I've been working with him for the last month and we're just wrapping that up. And then we're going to see where it's going to go. Do I think it's likely that it'll end up on one of the major surf- streaming services? No, I don't think that's likely at all. I'm, I'm a, it's a, it's a small made by one person, little documentary. Like you look at the documentaries on Netflix, millions went into those documentaries, millions, not mine. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I'm very proud of my documentary and who knows it's possible it could get picked up by one of the major streamers. It's possible. I don't know that it's likely though. I, I would go so far as to say it's definitely not likely, but I do. I still do have avenues to get it up on a, a number of channels, whether it's, you know, whether I go to be or Amazon or whether I go with IMD, uh, IMDB TV or, you know, something else along those lines, one way or another, my goal is to have it available for people to watch by the end of the year. And we're in November already. So that's where my goal is right now. We'll see where it ends up. But who knows? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe one of the streamings, maybe Peacock picks it up. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Thanks for that, Brent. Next up, Kyle Garrett writes, I just watched The Shining for the first time on Halloween this year, and I really liked it. I forgot whether you liked the sequel with Hugh McGregor, Dr. Sleep. Is it worth it for me to check out Dr. Sleep or just skip it? I love Dr. Sleep. Somebody else was asking about this the other day. I can't remember if it was on the show. I think it was on the show. Somebody else was talking about, you know, the original Shining and Dr. Sleep. I love Dr. Sleep. I thought that movie was fantastic with Ewan McGregor. I thought it was awesome. It was a terrible title for the movie. But John, that's the name of the book. I know that's the name of the book. That doesn't change the fact that it was a terrible title for the movie. I mean, your your title of your movie, it isn't important except for the marketing of the film. It is your frontline main piece of marketing for your movie is your title. And Dr. Sleep, number one, sounds boring. But besides that, it gives you no indication about what this movie is. And I think it probably left a lot of people confused. Like, what is this? And then you have to tell them it's connected to The Shining. Really? It's connected to The Shining? Like, I don't know. It was just, they just started off on a bad foot. And the movie didn't do nearly as well as it deserved to. Because I'm telling you, I think that movie is awesome. You should absolutely check it out, Kyle, because I think it's great. All right. Next up, SK Zhang writes, Hey, John, have you watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix? No, I've been asked that many times. Uh, and no, I have not, unfortunately. I do want to because I love The Queen of Cotway, but I, and it's chess-based, so I'd like to. Uh, Seven-episode miniseries. I've been a big fan of Anya Taylor-Joy since Split. Calling it, she's going to be the next Emma Stone. Eh, I don't know about that. Uh, R.I.P. Sean Connery. He lived a full life and probably effed uh, a few prom queens. A little bit of a reference to his quote from uh, The Rock, obviously there. Um, 
first of all, yeah, Queen's Gambit. I definitely want to see it. I have not seen it yet. It's right there on Netflix, but I'm intrigued by it. I like Anya Taylor-Joy. And, um, you know, ever since I saw The Queen of Cotway, I've kind of been a little bit of a sucker for movies that revolve around chess. So I'm interested in that. As far as Anya Taylor-Joy being the next Emma Stone, understanding that Emma Stone is a multi-nominated Academy Award winning actress. I'll tell you right now, I don't see it. I don't see that yet. I think she's I like watching her in movies. I think she's good. Don't get me wrong. I think she's good. Is she the next Emma Stone? I I haven't seen, unlike say somebody like a, um, oh, who am I trying to think of right now? Timothy Chalamet, right? Unlike somebody like that, who you can just see that that potential to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis is there. Whether he'll grow into that potential, who knows? But that potential is there. I haven't seen anything in Anya Taylor-Joy yet that suggests to me, oh, this is a person who's going to become an Oscar winner. I don't I don't see it yet. But then again, I haven't seen Queen's Gambit yet. Maybe once I do, I will change my mind. Anyway, thanks for, for the recommendation, SK. All right, next up, we got uh, Craig Wooten, who writes, now that Ampus, it's the, uh, um, oh, what's a motion picture association, um, members can watch us the Academy can watch movies via their own dedicated streaming platform. Will studios still send out discs with swag or develop new ways to get their films noticed by members? Um, I think you're going to see, okay. So what traditionally has happened, at least in, in the last 10 plus years is that as we get close to award season, Studios will send screener DVDs out to voting members of the Academy or uh, voting members of another body, right? If it's another award show, you know, Golden Globes or whether it's the Film Critics Associate, whatever, they'll send out screener copies because that number one, make sure that you've seen this movie, but number two, put the movie back in front of your mind, right? What they are now doing is they're creating a central hub streaming service for uh, Academy members where they can just log on and watch the movies. Like you don't have to send physical discs. Of course, what also helped prompt that a lot was the whole COVID thing. Like, do you want to get discs in the mail that 50 other people touch with their dirty hands? You know, that sort of thing. Anyway. So they're gonna have their own streaming service. But does that mean studios won't send out discs anymore? Mm, I th- I think like they probably still will. I mean, it's super cheap. I mean, it's really, really cheap to print a disc and mail it out. I mean, it's super easy, but, you know, you go to the mail and you open up. Oh, look at this. They sent me a, a copy of The Gentleman. Cool. And it puts The Gentleman back to the front of your head, right? So even though that that new streaming service is there, and I think that's a good move for them, I still think we're going to see uh, discs get mailed out, at least for the foreseeable future. That's what I'm guessing anyway. I don't know of any rule against it, but who knows? All right. John Stafford writes. Campia, have you watched The Queen's Gambit? Another thing about Queen's Gambit on Netflix yet. I know your viewers are always telling you to watch new shows, but add this to your list. Seven episode miniseries. Amazing. Well, John, you're not only the first person not to tell me that. We've already had somebody else this show tell me that. Queen's Gambit. Yeah, again, like I said, I am intrigued by it. I watched the preview for it on Netflix. I saw the preview. I am interested in watching it. I think Anne wants to watch it too. So soon I will sit down and watch this damn thing. Thanks for the recommendation. All right. Uh, Rajko uh, Krimnak writes, 
I'll second the Queen's Gambit. We got another one for Queen's Gambit here. I'll second the Queen's Gambit recommendation. John, have you seen Love and Monsters yet with Dylan O'Brien? One of the more fun horror movies I've seen in years. Highly recommended. Uh, also, it has the best movie dog possibly ever. I have not seen Love and Monsters yet. I, I just don't want to pay 20 bucks for it. I mean, it's an interesting looking trailer. It does look like I'm just saying I haven't seen the movie. I'm just telling you what it looked like to me. It looks like a pretty blatant zombie land ripoff. Looks like a pretty blatant zombie land ripoff, but still looks fun. But I just have no intention of spending the amount of money on it that you need to spend. I'll wait. I don't believe it's available for a rental yet. Might be I like regular rental, like six bucks, right? I'll pay six bucks to rent it. I don't think it's been made that yet. So no, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I am interested. I thought despite the fact that it looked like a zombie land ripoff, I still thought it was a pretty good fun looking trailer. So I am, I am looking forward to watching that. All right. Cole Wilkes writes. Now that Tenet has been out for a while, do you think it does for Nolan's legacy? What do you think it does for Nolan's legacy? Where does it fall amongst your favorite Nolan films? And what would you like to see him do next? And who should he work with next? Well, who should he work with next? Anybody. It doesn't matter. He's he's Christopher Nolan. He can work with anybody. Um, what does it do for Nolan's legacy? I I honestly think it does nothing for his legacy. I don't think it was good enough that it increases his legendary profile. I don't think that Tenet was good enough to increase his iconic legendary profile. That said, I also don't believe it was bad enough to take away from his legendary iconic profile. Look, I, I thought I thought Tenet was good. I like Tenet. It has some issues some, from a practical point of view. I mean, sound mixing, he's just got to hire somebody who different. He needs to hire a different sound mixer. I mean, that's just, it's it's come on chris it's time um anyway but besides that i thought the movie was good so i don't think it's going to move the needle on his career at all to be honest with you um so i would say it's probably it's in the bottom three for me as far as overall christopher nolan films go I, and in, i'm not going to say what order it's in my bottom three christopher nolan films are um uh interstellar the Dark Knight uh, Rises and uh, and this one and Tenet. Now, all of them, I think, are good films. That's how good Christopher Nolan is. I just listed my bottom three and all of them are good. They're all good. But that's so I, I but I would put it down there probably in my bottom three. Yet I still enjoyed it and I still thought it was good. All right. Andre um, Mera, Andre Mera writes, greetings. I'd like to get your opinion on 13 Reasons Why. I can't really give you my opinion because I haven't watched it, to be honest with you. Anyway, uh, it's a popular show, but I saw season one and I thought it was misguided and potentially dangerous to its own target audience. An assumption later confirmed by the report that teen suicides rose almost 29% uh, on the month of the show's release. Some of them copycat suicide. Thanks. P.S. Uh, R.I.P. Sean Connery. Well, I'm, a couple of thoughts here. And these these thoughts are only my own. OK, these are just my own thoughts on this. Understanding with the caveat that I have not watched 13 Reasons Why. There's a lot of shows I haven't watched. I mean, I'm not, I don't watch television shows nearly as religiously as I watch films, but I haven't watched 13 Reasons Why. Just didn't look like it was a movie for me or a show for me. No big deal. However, um, I remember when 
the show came out and there was some of this, oh, you know, the show is partly responsible for, I, I, I remember those studies came out, but I remember, I think it was um, IndieWire that did this big thing on about other studies that came out after that, that disproved those initial studies that came out. Like, for example, I remember there was, you know, they pointed that young men, there was, there was an increase in suicides in young men of that particular year that the show came out. The problem, what those initial studies didn't tell you though, was there was almost an equal number of increase the year before 13 reasons why came out. Right. Anyway, I just remember it was IndieWire that published another a number of studies that totally contradicted the first round. Of I'll put it this way. To me, saying that a show like 13 Reasons Why um, is connected with, with suicide, I think it's the same as saying video games lead to violent behavior in teens. I don't believe that either. I don't believe that at all. You know, I grew up, you know, watching, you know, armies with lasers and, and light swords and blah and killing each other and blowing things up and blah, blah, blah. And watching all that stuff. I, I've, I've never shot anybody and I've never cut anybody with a knife and I've ne certainly never blown anything up. Mm. That's not entirely true. I, I did accidentally kind of accidentally blow something up once it was small, small, tiny little thing. Don't worry about it. Um, anyway, that being said, I, I reject, I reject that completely. I reject that completely. I also reject any form of censorship. I don't believe I don't believe in censorship. Um, artists tell stories about human conditions. If you could convince me that suicide doesn't happen in our world, okay, then let's have a debate about thirteen reasons why. But the reality is, suicide, in particular, the the tragedy of teen suicide, that is something that happens in our world. That's something that happens. A disturbingly, a disturbing amount. I believe in the power of telling stories. And to tell stories about that very real thing in our human condition. No. Now, look, there's there's something to be said about do they glorify it? Do they go, yeah. I'm Stacy B and in 14 days I'm going to commit suicide. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? I'm going to do that. Like if they, they, they did that. Well, okay. There's a discussion for us to have. Then there's a discussion for us to have. But again, I'm shooting in the dark here because I didn't see the show, but from what I've heard from people, the show does not glorify teen suicide or anything like that. So I have no problem with it. But then again, it's a show I don't watch. So, yeah, that's kind of my take on it. it may not be the answer you were looking for for me to say. But honestly, that again, I, I attribute that to the same kind of logical mentality that video games cause teenagers to go out and become violent. I, I don't know. I play a lot of video games, man. I play a lot of video games. I never made me violent. So I don't know. That's just kind of my take on it. But again, take that with a grain of salt that this is coming from a guy who hasn't watched the show. So there's that. All right. Final question today, guys, comes to us from Darren Barnes, who writes, have you watched Money Heist? 
No, I haven't. Uh, the character development and the way the plot unfolds has me hooked. Although I can, uh, although I can binge watch it, I am watching it weekly to give me something to look forward to. Listen, that's another show, Money Heist. That's the, I believe it's Spanish, is it not? I, if I remember correctly. Anyway, that's another show that a bunch of people have told me is really great because my audience knows I'm kind of a sucker for heist movies. So something called Money Heist, like a series called Money Heist, that's going to get my attention. So that is another one. You're another person, Darren, giving me multiple uh, recommendations here. I've had a number of people tell me about Money Heist and I've got that one on my queue. That one is definitely on the queue. So I am going to get around to that one at some point soon. All right, guys. That's the last question today. That'll do it for this installment of the Open Mic Podcast. Thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. And a special thank you again for all of you guys being Patreon supporters. And I appreciate that very much. You guys are one of the big reasons why we're able to do every month the programming and the shows that we do is because of your support. So thank you guys very, very much for that. And for all of you taking time to send in these questions. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. And we will see you on the John Campus Show again tomorrow. Until then, my friends, bye-bye.